My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. In the Gospel of Saint John, we read, that Jesus manifested himself at the Sea of Tiberias after the resurrection. Now he manifested himself in this way. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called the twin and Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We also are going with you. In this gospel passage, just here in the short introduction to the manifestation of Jesus on shore, we already see something very deep, which is that the apostles, as St. Josemaria pointed out, after the resurrection, do not simply do nothing. Even though they could argue, or someone may argue, that they don't need to work anymore because Jesus has really conquered death and sin and all sorts of other problems that human beings can face, you know, because when if you can resurrect from the dead, you can, you can do anything. And therefore, you might think that, well, one of the big problems that people have is, you know, work, and because work is burdensome. And so, if you have the power to resurrect, why, why not get rid of work, which is tiresome, and we can just eat and drink and be merry, you know, and enjoy the victory over all sorts of evil powers, you know, after the resurrection. Well, St. Josemaria points out that the apostles do not do that they actually go back to work. And here in this passage of the gospel, you already see that they are going fishing because they were fishermen. And the other apostles, uh, they say, we're going with Peter, we're going with you. This is something that we need to realize, that we need to work no matter what happens we are called to till the garden and to keep it. That's our original vocation. St. Maria noticed that this original vocation of man and woman, to be in the garden, to till it and to keep it, is actually a vocation that they receive as a blessing, not as a curse, as one might think, because you know, work is burdensome, work is tiresome, work is sometimes very difficult. And we might associate it with sin, and we might might associate a perfect life, you know, in the, as one in which there is no work, where we don't need to work at all. You know, we're all at the beach, and we're all enjoying life with a piña colada, and, um, you know, there's no need to work, because we're, like, in vacation all the time. But no, actually, work is not a problem to be solved, so to speak. Work is actually a vocation to be fulfilled. It is the will of God for man and woman. 
And if we look back in Genesis, it has these, these two aspects of it. One is to till the world, and the other is to keep it. And, and they, these two aspects keep one another in balance. On the one hand, we have this vocation to till the world, which really can be interpreted, I think, as a development of nature. You know, you till the land in order to make it yield fruit that is not there previously. You plant a seed, you water that seed, you you mulch around it. You then, you know, see the, the seed grow and, and then you can enjoy the fruit and all after the harvest. Well, it is really the fruit of your effort as well. It's not just the seed that grows on its own, but, you know, you have to do a lot of work to make that seed yield fruit. And maybe that tree that that bears fruit can also be used for wood, it could be used to make a fire, it could be used to make a house, shelter. So all our needs that we need as human beings, you know, shelter, food, uh, you name it, clothing, they come partly as a gift from God and partly as the fruit of our labor because God wants us to actually participate in his creative work by we working, you know. So, work is a blessing. And it has this aspect of development of nature. We put in our two cents into this creative activity of work. We put in our imagination, all our senses, everything. And we develop technology. We progress in science we we develop medicine so that we can live a more comfortable life and so on and all this is good and in a certain sense it is all a gift from god but at the same time there is this other aspect of the vocation to work which is to keep the garden to keep it and i think this could be interpreted as respecting nature, not usurping nature, using it for furthering our own lives and the lives of the people we love, but not taking advantage of it to the point that we destroy it and that we leave nothing for the next generation. In this sense, we could talk about ecology as something that is good, but also not just about you know, nature and keeping it intact for others, but really keeping ourselves from actually harming ourselves by usurping the gifts that we have been given. In other words, to actually think and pray how it is that we can put what we have been given, our talents, at the service of God and our neighbor. And this is also part of our original vocation, which means that perhaps, you know, this includes resting also from work, from the tilling, you know. It's, you know, part of the keeping of nature means uh, resting and also enjoying one another's company and reminding ourselves that we are here not to work, 
as our ultimate end, but to actually transform our work into a prayer, into a sacrifice, so that we can give glory to God. And and we can serve one another and create a better society of love for one another. Ultimately, this aspect of keeping of nature has a lot to do with charity, has a lot to do with unity of life. It has to do with knowing why we do things and knowing the right measure of where work fits within the whole of our holiness and sanctification and our ultimate end. Well, if this is our vocation, then we need to start looking at work in a different way. We need to start seeing that work is the setting where I can meet Christ, where I can meet Jesus, just like the apostles in this passage of St. John's Gospel after the resurrection. They meet the resurrected Christ there in their work while they're working. And St. Jose Mary even points out that St. Paul meets Jesus in his, quote, work of eradicating the church, you know, as he goes to Damascus and has letters to arrest people that are following the way of the Lord. Well, you know, this is this is uh, how it's going to be for us as well. We're going to meet Christ in the most ordinary circumstances of our lives. And the reason why is because he has become a man and he has actually worked with his own hands. He didn't have hands to work. He created the universe, but he didn't have hands. And so he took on some hands in order to be able to actually work as a man. That's extraordinary. That's that's incredible. That should give us hours and hours of contemplation. And it should give us a... It should really call into crisis sometimes the way we have viewed our own work as perhaps something to do at all costs because it's the most important thing in our lives or the, the most fulfilling thing in our lives, you know. And, and it's not true. It should actually be a means to an end, not an end in itself. When Jesus has become a man and he has actually worked himself and worked as a very humble uh, carpenter, we have to rethink about what it means to work and, and, and what the value of work is. St. Josemaria writes in, in a homily called Working for God, which is published in a book called Friends of God by Scepter. You can read this passage. Our Lord's whole life fills me with love for him. But I have a special weakness for his 30 hidden years spent in Bethlehem, Egypt, and Nazareth. That period, so long in comparison with his public life, and which the Gospels hardly mention, might seem empty of any special meaning to a person who views it superficially. And yet, I have always maintained that this silence about our Lord's earthly life speaks eloquently for itself. 
and contains a wonderful lesson for us Christians. They were years of intense work and prayer, years during which Jesus led an ordinary life, a life like ours, we might say, which was both divine and human at the same time. In his simple workshop, unnoticed, he did everything to perfection, just as he was later to do before the multitudes. See here, St. Maria is telling us that Jesus, most of his life was really hidden away working. And you can imagine, just imagine, place yourself in the scenes of the unwritten gospels of the hidden life. You know, we, we don't have much. It's really silent and, and there's nothing to write about really because they're ordinary things and people don't usually write about banal things. And yet Christ lived out and sanctified those banal things. He did everything that we do. And that's why we can say that somehow Christ has joined himself to whatever we find normal, ordinary, maybe even boring. Well, Christ did all those things. He did grunt work, you know, kind of thing. He was, he, he had to, you know, get up early in the morning. He had to learn how to work the tools. You know, he had to actually, um, he experienced tiredness, just like you and me when we work. He experienced setbacks. He and he did not use his his power to perform miracles as a way to solve, as Saint Maria says, a quote personal problem, you know, of oh no, I made this table badly, so I have to you know kind of just make it make it perfect by using my miraculous power. No, Jesus actually worked with his hands and he wanted to to tie himself down to a human way of working so that he can give us an example among other things of how we ought to actually work as well now the fact that jesus took on a very humble kind of manual work and that the fact that he was poor really tells us a lot about the dignity of work sometimes we think that there is higher kinds of work, you know. We think that the highest kind of of work may be perhaps intellectual, maybe, you know, something like that. Um, and the lowest kind of work is is manual. And uh, you know that that doesn't that doesn't work anymore. <laughs> After the incarnation, the highest kind of work, arguably, could be Jesus's kind of work. <laughs> Or, or really any kind of work, as long as it's done out of love. The important thing is not the kind of work, what is done, but how it is done. We should do it, just like we say at Mass, you know, through Him and with Him and in Him. We need to work that way, with, with, with Christ, through Christ, in Christ. You know, if we do it for Christ, we... We are doing it with the upright intention. We are doing it for God as our end. And of course, this intention is is very important. We can do it uh, habitually. We can, you know, get up in the morning and make an, an, a morning offering. Saint Jose Maria used to do that every day. Got up early in the morning. 
kiss the floor used to say the word serviam, which means I will serve, and then make a morning offering so as to rectify his intention and do everything out of love for God. Of course, that intention is something that can can actually, you know, um, be contradicted during the day because of competing intentions that I get in my mind and, and then I start working for myself or working selfishly or or doing, you know, things for ill purposes, God forbid, but it, it happens, it's called sin, you know. And that's when we have to actually turn back to our Lord and and rectify our intention. That's why our rectitude of intention is so important. Why are we working? Why are we working so hard? Is it for money? Is it for prestige? And maybe prestige is good, but why do we want prestige? Is it for ourselves? Or is it so that we can serve others better and actually use work or the setting of our work and and the opportunities that our job offers to actually be in a better position in society, to help our family, to evangelize others, to change the culture, to influence other people for the better. Well, we have to make the examination of conscience every day to see where our intention lies. So, working for God, working for Jesus is 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 the first thing. Then, do I work in Christ? In Christ. And I think what this means is, am I in the state of grace? Do I have the, the intensity of grace, the intensity of love that Jesus had when he was working in Egypt, in Nazareth, in, in his hidden life? You know, you know, do I do this with this special power that God gives me to sanctify the actual task at hand. And that's called charity or the state of grace. And for that, I need to reject sin because obviously if I'm in, in the state of sin, I can't do anything. I can't sanctify anything. I can't offer anything. You know, it's kind of like a lamp that is not plugged in. I don't care how how how, how many times I turn the switch on and off. It's not going to work. It's got to be plugged into electricity. So grace is like the electricity. Right? If I'm not plugged into God, then why bother? Why doing? Why do anything? I'll get a human reward for the good things that I've done humanly, but but that's nothing. That's perishable. I really want. I really want my work to be an act of love that I actually take to heaven. You know, when you go to the museum, you see all sorts of Egyptian mummies with pottery, with gold, with jewelry, with and why do they bury these people with all sorts of things? Well, because they thought that they were going to take them to the next life. And it's not true. The only thing that all that pottery and jewelry and gold and artwork has actually done is given us a better idea of what they believed. But they didn't take it anywhere. They were they got left there, buried, and now archaeologists can have a field day, literally and learn a lot about the past. Um, but those pots and jewels didn't go anywhere. They're still there. 
Well, anything we do here on earth, we're really not going to take to heaven unless, unless we do it in love. If we do it out of love, then we'll see it in heaven. Actually, we will, as St. Thomas says, we will see it transfigured in heaven. All our works of charity, and that includes all the work we do in the state of grace with the right intention, we will see later on. And it'll be fruitful. It'll be, you know, God will 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 make it multiply hundredfold, you know. And it'll be meritorious because we will be doing it in Christ, with Christ. It's as if really if Christ were here and he were working, well, he the question is, would he be able to sign my work? Would he be able to say, you did your work so well that I could put my signature on it? Well, when we are in the state of grace and we do it with the right intention, he actually can say, yes, I can put my name on that. It's as if I were doing it. In fact, I am doing it because I'm working through you. And I'm actually helping not only for you to till the garden and to transform the actual work at hand, but you're also transformed. You're also transformed more perfectly into the image of Christ as as you work, as I work, you know, with God. The more we do that, the more we look like Christ, the more the Father loves us because he loves his Son. Well, another aspect that we can... Um, do is actually do everything through God you know for God, in God, through God for Christ, in Christ through Christ and what does this mean? I think it means working with presence of God being aware of the fact that we are children of God when we do this we have our our intention is no longer habitual, it's actual. Now, to sanctify something, we, we need at least a habitual intention. But the more actual it is, the more aware we are of why we're doing things and for whom we're working, and, 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 and we see ourselves as working in the presence of God, then we do things really well. We end things well without becoming perfectionists. You know, perfectionism is really a disorder of the of the person who just wants to do things for their own sake, and that's not why why a Christian, a, a child of God, does anything. We should be working as if Christ were right there in front of us, like Saint Joseph worked with Jesus in in the workshop, right there, with a lot of charity. You know, finishing things well. You know, offering the sacrifice of Abel, meaning the best he had of his flock was given to God. This is how God renews creation, you know, elevates creation to a new level and purifies it from sin. When we work this way, when we work for God, when we work in God, when we work through God, what we are actually doing is we are doing what, what Jesus uh, did on the cross. We are uniting all our actions to the holy sacrifice of the Mass. And that's that's uh, one of the insights that St. Maria had, that 
we at mass exercise our priestly soul because we bring everything we do we put it on the paten and we offer that up but we cannot offer shoddy work as he used to say we have to offer the best and that means we have to put the last stones in this homily working for god where saint Maria uh, expounds on on his theology and spirituality of work which i recommend you read he talks about a an incident which happened to him which uh, occurred when he finished building the central house of Opus Dei in Rome. He put the last stone and wanted to have a special blessing for the last stone. But when he went to the blessing, the book of blessings, he couldn't find a blessing for the last stone. And he was surprised because there's a blessing for the first stone. There's a blessing for all sorts of the beginning of something, but not for the end. And he said, but wait, the end is more important than the beginning. So why isn't there a blessing for the last stone? And he said he was, to his dismay and disappointment, he had to, uh, you know, be happy with or content himself with a blessing ad omnia, which is like a generic blessing, you know, for the last stone. And he he used to tell this anecdote so that we realize that what God is really waiting for us to do is finish our work out of love for God, putting the last details into into that hard work that we don't like doing. This is where this is where the ball game is won or lost right there, you know, whether we take our shoulder uh, off the uh, the hoe, you know when or or not when we or when we put our shoulder, when we, you know, put more effort into what we are doing and we finish the task at hand. It's not only about finishing, it's really about doing it in Christ. Totally so. It's really, as I was saying before, an act of love. That's why, you know, we cannot imagine Jesus in the workshop um, being upset, um, being angry or yelling at someone or, you know, I don't know, kind of being selfish about or imposing himself or or whatever it is or being unjust or lazy no jesus taught us how to work with peace with serenity with charity dealing with others as if they were you know uh someone to respect so our colleagues, we have to see Christ behind our colleagues. We shouldn't backbite. You know, there's all sorts of office gossip, you know, in many places. Well, we need to we need to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give in to critical thoughts or backbiting or uh, office gossip of whatever nature because I need to be Christ to others. I need to give witness that Christ is doing something through me. And I need to bring peace, serenity, joy, you know, diligence, which really means love. The root word of diligence is diligo in Latin, to love. I need to put love in what I do. Well, this is something that is is not easy to do because we all too often 
well, get tired. We get tired out. And and one of the tendencies we have due to original sin, and this is where original sin comes in, is laziness or being a freeloader. And, you know, St. Paul was... was um, was very much against that. And to the Thessalonians, he writes two letters, one in which he talks about the end of the world in the first letter. And a lot of people misinterpreted that letter because they thought that, well, if the end of the world is coming, then why bother working? If it's coming in two weeks, well, just take these two weeks off and then Jesus will come and that's it. We don't have to work anymore. Why bother, right? Uh, Well, no. Uh, He finds out about that and he writes them a second letter. And this second letter, he's very clear about, about what he said and what he did not say. And he writes these words. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. For we were not unruly while with you. Neither did we eat any man's bread at his cost. But we worked night and day in labor and toil so that we might not burden any of you. See, Paul doesn't want to burden anybody. And, and so he, he realizes, I have to give an example of working, even though I deserve the, you know, my keep because I'm an evangelizer and I've given them the gospel and I could eat, you know, and earn my keep that way. I won't, I want, I want to work so that they don't imitate, you know, uh, a kind of easy lifestyle. Not that, he continues, not that we do not have the right to to do so, to actually earn their keep because they're evangelizers, but that we might make ourselves an example for you to imitate us. That's why they did not just want to work exclusively uh, for the gospel, but they wanted to actually do something useful for society, uh, like being a tent maker, you know, which is what he was, and that's where he met um, Priscilla and Aquila, because they were tent make, they were tent makers as well. Or Aquila was a tent maker as well. For indeed, when we were with you, he continues, we used to charge you: if any man will not work, neither let him eat. For we have heard that some among you are living irregularly, doing no work but busy at, at meddling. Now such persons, we charge and exhort. In the Lord Jesus Christ, that they work quietly and eat their own bread. So Saint Paul teaches us that we have to justify our existence in society. We have to contribute to the common good, and we do that with the fulfillment of our call to work, to till the garden, and to keep it, which includes times of leisure, times of contemplation, times of rest. But times of rest only makes sense if there is times of intense work as well. It doesn't make sense to rest without ever working. We need to do both, and we need to uh, sanctify both aspects of the tilling and the keeping. Well, let us um, turn to Mary. Mary was a woman who worked all her life, and she worked in very ordinary things. She was a housewife. She was a mother. She was one more woman in the village where she lived, and she did ordinary things. She went and cleaned the house. She fed her family. She cooked. She went to get water at the well with other women. She 
followed Jesus later on and served him and his disciples and brought many people to Jesus, especially at the foot of the cross. And that was that's Mary's kind of hallmark work to actually take us to Jesus. Well, she will do that if we entrust everything we do, everything that is most difficult for us, to her. Mary, mother of work, mother of work that can be sanctified, mother of honest work, we turn to you so that we too can meet Jesus in whatever we do, just like you did as you worked you had him right there in front of you and everything you did was for him in him and through him i thank you my god for the good resolutions affections and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation i ask your help to put them into effect my immaculate mother saint joseph my father and lord my guardian angel intercede for me